Hello, I'm Dr. Jonathan Barker, pastor here at Amazing Grace Baptist Church in Mount Airy, North Carolina. I would like to personally thank you for taking out time today to tune in to our preaching podcast. We hope that this message will be a great encouragement to your heart today. The book of Luke this morning, Luke chapter number 23, and uh, we'll look at a few things out of here. Luke chapter number 23 today. Luke chapter number 23. And uh, I want to read a few verses out of here and talk to you a little bit out of Luke 23. Again, if you're visiting with us today, thank you so much um, for being here. There's a lot of other places and a lot of other churches you could have went to today. And we don't take it lightly that you stopped by to visit with us today. And we sure are grateful for that. Amen. Luke chapter number 23, and uh, I want to read just two verses to you right here. Then I'm going to back up into chapter number 22 and kindly bring you into what's going on here in chapter number 23. Let's stand in honor and reverence to the reading of God's Word. Luke chapter number 23, I want to read in verse 33 and verse 34 to you. Thank you to those that was with us yesterday at the Foothills meeting. And, uh, man, we had a time in Ashboro yesterday. And uh, thank the Lord for that. And I appreciate you being faithful. I really, really do. And thank you those that helped us get all the sound system tore down and, and put back up last night um, or loaded back in the vans. I appreciate that. Amen. Luke chapter 23, verse number 23, or verse number 33 says this this morning. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right and the other on the left. And then said Jesus, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. I'm interested in that portion in the middle of verse number 34, what Jesus says hanging on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, I love you this morning. I pray, God, that you'd help us for just a little while. I pray, God, that your will and way would be done in this service, God. I pray, Lord, that you would give us liberty to preach, God. Help us to, uh, Lord, recall the things that we've studied in recent days, God. Lord, if there's anybody here this morning, God, that don't know you as their Savior, I pray, God, that you'd save them today. God, we'll be careful to give you the praise. God, help Brother Heath out in youth church right now. We'll give you the thanks. In Jesus' name, that name that's above every name, we pray it. Uh, Amen and amen. You can be seated this morning. Now, whenever you study our Bible and whenever we come to this time of the year, uh, um, we're all familiar with what time of the year it is. Yes, I know that it's spring of the year. Uh, uh, Yes, I know well that turkey season has begun. Somebody say amen right there. Uh, uh, But most importantly, it is a time of the year uh, that we set aside to celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And uh, like I've already said, and I'm sure I'll say again over the next week or so, uh, numerous times it's what separates us uh, from every other religion in this world, and that is that we have a God uh, that is alive and well today. Amen. Uh, Yes, Jesus died, but thank God he didn't stay dead. Uh, One third and glorious morning he arose victorious uh, over death, hell, and the 
grave. Amen. Matter of fact, after that, he stuck around 40 days, reached up, grabbed a cloud, pulled it down, and said, Heaven, please, and ascended back into the heavens, uh, and then gave us a great promise. Amen. He said, Ye men of Galilee, uh, why stand ye here gazing into these clouds? This same Jesus uh, uh, that went away in like manner is coming back. Amen. I sure am thankful uh, that Revelation 4 is nearing real close uh, uh, for the Lord himself shall descend with a shout and with the voice of the archangel uh, and the dead in Christ shall rise first we which are alive and remain uh, shall be called up together to meet them in the clouds. Amen. I didn't have none of that in the message this morning but I thought I'd go ahead and hit it while we was right there. I'm glad the Lord's coming back. Amen. But whenever we come here let me get back to Luke 22. When we come back here uh, the crucifixion is fixing to take place. Matter of fact here in Luke chapter number 22 Jesus is mocked uh, and Jesus is beaten uh, and uh, for, for one simple thing and that was loving you and me. That's the reason he was arrested. That's the reason he was mocked. That's the reason that he was beaten. You'll find in chapter number 3 that he appears before Pilate and Pilate even ends up saying, I find no fault in this man. And there was no fault to be found in him. Amen. As you read on in chapter number 23, you'll find that Jesus is taken to Calvary. We know now that Gethsemane has already taken place where Jesus prayed in the garden that day, Gabbath has already taken place. He's already been beaten with a cat of nine tails. He's already had a crown of thorns placed upon his head. He's already went through all the cruel agony that he's went through at Gabbath. And now when we come to where I just read in chapter number 23, he is at a place called Calvary, the place of the school Golgotha is where he is at. Whenever you come here, you'll find that Jesus, while hanging on the cross of Calvary, dying for your sins and for my sins, ends up saying seven different things while he's on Calvary. This morning, I'm not going to preach on all seven of them. I'm going to deal with one this morning. I hope you'll come back tonight, and I'll deal with another one tonight. This morning, I want to deal with the very first thing that Jesus says while he's on the cross. Matter of fact, in 2020, when um, uh, society was completely different and uh, we was doing a lot of online services and parking lot services, we done a series, Dad and I did, on the seven sayings of the cross and aired them uh, uh, on our Facebook page. I want to go back and pull one of them out this morning uh, and preach it here in our auditorium. Father, forgive them uh, for they know not what they do. I find this statement very interesting that Jesus makes. I also find it very interesting that Jesus makes this statement first of all before he says anything else. As a matter of fact, out of the seven sayings on the cross, three of them is for others. Whenever you study the first three, he's dealing with others. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You know, the Bible, the New Testament, um, is really the Old Testament revealed whenever you study it out. And whenever you begin to read the Old Testament, here's what you find in Isaiah 53, 12. Therefore will I divide him a portion with a great, 
and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he hath poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors and he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. It was prophesied in the book of Isaiah that while Jesus was on the cross that he would make intercession for the transgressors. Well, who is the transgressors? Well, can I say it this way today? That is you and that is me. That is who the transgressors are. It is the whole world. For by one man sin entered into the world, and that was Adam. And because of that, now we're all sinners, and we find here Jesus making intercession for you and for me. Whenever you begin to study the ministry of Christ out, and this very first saying that uh, the Savior uh, presents himself in an attitude of prayer. If you remember, Christ started his earthly ministry with this right here in Luke 3.21. Now, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying the heavens open. It is very fitting that Jesus would begin his ministry with praying and now as Jesus comes down to dying on the cross of Calvary, we find him praying again. We find him praying again. First Peter chapter 2 said this, Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Whenever you study this out, you'll find that they, um, uh, they began to mock at Jesus and they pretty much said, and I'm not quoting this verbatimly, but they pretty much said, if you're really God, get yourself down off the cross. Uh, and they mocked at Jesus. And you know what? I'm sure that day as they were standing there at the cross of Calvary and the blood was running down the cross of Calvary and all of a sudden as they have now mocked him, uh, as they have beat him with a cat of nine, tails as I really believe in all of my heart they tried to kill him on the scourging post that day but they could not kill him he would have to give his life up himself and he does on end to this crucifixion but as they're hang, he's hanging there that day and all of a sudden all of a sudden he begins to utter words no doubt everybody runs to the edge of the cross that hears him as his mouth begins to open and they listen very tentatively to see what Jesus is going to say. Can I say something to you today? I would have probably said something totally different than what Jesus said. I would have probably said something totally different. If somebody mocks you, if somebody plucks the beard from your face, if somebody strips you of your garments, if somebody takes a cat of nine tails and beats you beyond recognition, read Psalms 22. His bones stared at him and his bowels gushed from within and there he hang on Calvary and those that had done that to him was at the foot of the cross. 
Oh, I guarantee you, Brother Gray, they was listening with an open ear, wanting to know what the words that would be uttered from the mouth of this man by the name of Jesus would be. And here's what he uttered out that day. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Can I say something to you today? What humility, what humility he betrays that day on Calvary. That he would not, all Jesus had to do was snap his fingers. All Jesus had to do was to call 10,000 angels and they would have come mopped the place up, killed everybody there and he would have been back in heaven sitting with his father. But that's not what he does. He begins praying for those that hated him so much. He opens his mouth. He is not seeking relief for himself. But the first thing he does is seeks relief for others. What about that this morning? Seeks relief for others. Note with me, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. On no previous occasion did Christ make such a request of his Father. Never before had he invoked the Father's forgiveness of others. Jesus himself had always forgave. To the man sick of the palsy, he said, Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. To the woman who washed his feet with her tears in the house of Simon, he said, Thy sins are forgiven. Now Jesus is on the cross. Matthew 9, 6, But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. At this time, according to John 12, though Jesus had become sin, that's what Jesus was doing on Calvary and the sin of the whole world was placed on him that day. So at this time, he had to, listen to me, he had to ask the help of his father. And Jesus could have said anything. He could have said anything. He could have condemned us all to hell. He could have went back to heaven and every one of us died and went to hell and he been justified in doing that but you want me to tell you what was on the mind of Jesus while he was hanging on bloody Calvary it was you and it was me and he said Father forgive them Father forgive them Father forgive them I want to show you two or three things about this statement this morning and we'll go home number one I want you to note the persistency in the saying. The persistency in the saying. When I began to study this, I began to read out of numerous books. And, and the older I get, the, the more I like to read, um, the, 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 the more I do read, and, and I guess it's just part of getting old. I don't know. But I, I began to study this. And, and you know, if you know me any at all, I am no English major, okay? Um, I, I, I'm no Hebrew major. I'm no Greek major, which is what the original text of our Bible was. But I sure am thankful for some guys that can write and put it on a dummy's level so I can understand it. Here's what I found out. The word translated said right here, 
The Bible, look what it says, then said Jesus. The word translated said is in the Greek an imperfect tense which, tense which indicates a continuous action. Jesus didn't just, I'm talking about the persistency of this saying. Jesus just didn't one time say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. But when you study this out, it was a continuous thing. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Can I say something to you today? I really believe that if we could go to the throne of God today, us sitting at the right hand of God is God the Son. And the Bible says this, that he is making intercession on our behalf. You want me to tell you what I believe? That Jesus continually says to the Father, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Man, what love, what love from Jesus this morning. The persistency in this. I read this, Dr. Herschel Ford, pastored for many years in the South. Here's what he said or had to say about the persistency in this saying. When he arrived at Calvary, he looked around him and prayed, Father, forgive them. When the soldiers crushed him down and laid him upon the cross, he prayed, Father, forgive them. When he was lifted up on the cross, he prayed, Father, forgive them. When the soldiers gambled for his garment, he prayed, Father, forgive them. He kept storming the throne of grace on the behalf of others praying, Father, forgive them. Hebrews 7, 25 says this, Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing that he ever liveth to make intercession for them. The persistency in the call. Let me tell you what Jesus is saying for you today. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You say, preacher, you don't know the life that I lived. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Preacher, you don't know the things that I've done. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Preacher, you, don't, you just don't understand the road that I've went down in my life. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Oh, yes. Matter of fact, if we was to read on down in chapter number 23, there was a thief hanging on another side of Jesus, and he said, hey, when you enter into your kingdom, remember me. And you know what Jesus said? Father, forgive him for he knows not what he does. And you know who is in heaven today? that very thief that day. Matter of fact, Paul said that he was the chief sinner. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Number one, I see the persistency in the saying. Number two, I see the priority of the saying. By far the greatest need of every man, woman, boy, and girl in the world is the forgiveness of sin. Is the forgiveness of sin. I find it interesting that this is the first thing Jesus says while on the cross. I understand that all the sayings are important of the cross. Anything, anything that Jesus says is important. Can I get an amen right there? It's all important, but I find it so interesting that Jesus makes it a priority to begin 
his statements while dying for sin. I didn't say dying in sin, dying for sin. He never sinned the first time. If he would have ever sinned, the blood of Calvary would have been insufficient. Man, study that Old Testament sacrifice. He never sinned the first time, but he that knew no sin became sin. Amen. He that knew no sin became sin. And while Jesus was dying for sin, he made it a priority. He made it a priority to pray for the forgiveness of sinners. I'm glad that when we study that said right there, and that is persistently being said, if we want to say it that way. I'm glad that when we study that out, it means that there is still forgiveness for you and for I today. I'm glad that it was not only for those that was gathered around the cross that day, but Jesus still today echoes out from the glory world, Father, forgive them the priority of it. He made it a priority to pray for you and to pray for me that day. And I'm glad that this saying, I'm glad that this saying is for everybody. You see, there is a uh, movement today that is called Calvinism. And I don't know if you're familiar with it or not. I'm sure some of you has probably heard the word of Calvinism. Matter of fact, I, I'm not 1 point, 2 point, 3 point, 4 point, or 5 point Calvinist. Here's what, just in basic terms, here's what a Calvinist is. They believe that there is an elect few that can go to heaven. No matter what you do, no matter how you live your life, if you are predestined to go to heaven, then you're going to go to heaven. If you are predestined to go to hell, then you're going to go to hell. Can I tell you something What I think about that? <laughs> Nowhere in the Word of God will you find Calvinism. Jesus did not say right here, Father, forgive an elect few. He said, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. I'm reminded of what 2 Peter 3, 9 said. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Amen. I thank God for John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God said, not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. I'm thankful for Romans 10 13 for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. His priority was the world and he cries out for the world from Calvary that day Father forgive them for they know not what they do. I see, number one, the persistency in the saying. Number two, the priority in the saying. Number three, and I'll be done. I see the passion in the saying. The passion, greater love hath no man than this, and that a man lay down his life for his friends. And I'm not quoting that verse verbatim, but you understand what I'm saying. 
Greater love hath no man than this. And can I say something to you this morning? That was the greatest example of love that we'll ever see. That was the greatest example of love that we'll ever see. I begin to think about this. Christ says, for they know not what they do. I've wondered, Miss Tanya, if you don't mind starting to play softly, I, I've wondered what did he mean? I believe they were ignorant of the enormity of their crime. They knew not that it was the Lord of glory. God incarnated into man, they were crucifying. Their blindness, though, was inexcusable. The Old Testament prophecies, which had received their fulfillment in him, were sufficiently plain to identify him as the Holy Son of God. They had even said their self in John 7, 46, never man spake like this man. His life had heaven's approval on it. The Father's voice even testified, This is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. In whom I am well pleased. Acts chapter number 2, Peter preaches and 3,000 people get saved. In Acts chapter number 2, after the resurrection, the ascension. Acts chapter number 3, verse number 17. And now, brethren, here's what he said. I wrought through ignorance, you did it as did also your rulers. I began to read back through that, and when you read back through that, he's dealing with the crucifixion. And here's what Peter says. He said, I've come to the conclusion, can I just say it that way? I've come to the conclusion that you did this out of ignorance. That you did this out of ignorance. And you know what Jesus said? Even though, I'm talking about the passion of this saying, even though, man, you, our mind, our mind cannot really comprehend the enormity of Gabbath that day. Our mind cannot even begin to comprehend that. The, the, the scourging post, you've heard me say this before, but let me say it again. Those men that beat him with a cat of nine tails was not just two guys they picked off the street, brought them in, and said, here's a cat of nine tails, beat this man 39 stripes or 40 stripes, save one. That's, those men were strategically trained on how to use the cat of nine tails. They just didn't beat him. But whenever they would take that cat of nine tails, they knew how to put everything they had into that. It wasn't just a beating. When you study that out, they would transfer their weight in everything that they had and come down with that cat of nine tails as he was tied across what some would imagine in their mind would be a 55-gallon barrel. She was tied across that and his back was exposed to them. And that cat of nine tails would not just hit his back, but it would wrap around any exposed flesh. And then as 
it would hit, they would wait. And in waiting, get allowed all of it to puncture in to the flesh. And then instead of picking it up, they would rip back like this. So the motion was this and this. And in doing that, it obliterated his body. Obliterated the Lamb of God, the one that had everything, the one that left the portals of glory, church. His bowels gush from within. You say, preacher, how did he not die? Because he was life. Man could not take his life from him. That was God incarnated into man. Our minds really can't understand that, to be honest. They say the custom that day was 40 stripes save one. The Roman law was 40 stripes save one. And you've heard me preach this before in Easter's past, and I'll just say it in passing. But when you study Roman law out, every Roman law of crucifixion has been broken. I believe that they beat him beyond 39 stripes. I personally believe that they tried their best to kill him right there. It was just the custom, 40 stripes save one. Every other Roman law had been broken. Why would they keep that one? As they took a crown of thorns and didn't place it upon his head, they put it there and then they took that reed and smote him with it and drove those crown of thorns down into the head of the Son of God. And now he hangs on Calvary with any little bit of dignity that he may have had left stripped from him because they took the robes from him that day. All of his dignity gone from him. His bowels gushing from within. Blood everywhere. Some have said that the Bible is a bloody book. You're exactly right. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And as he hangs there that day, he looks down through the scope of time and he sees you, Corey, and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He sees you, Randy. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Brother Jossie sees you and every mistake that you'll ever make and every time that you'll ever fail God just like the rest of us. And he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He sees me and the lowly rock, low-down sinner that I am. And he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Man, you want to talk about passion. You want to talk about love. You want to talk about giving your life for somebody else. And he did all of that just so you don't have to go to hell. 
just so you. He suffered, if you'll come back tonight, I'll deal with this. He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He suffered separation from his father, so you don't have to suffer separation from the father. Amen. He done it for us. I asked you this question this morning. Do you know him? They sung this morning, I know him, but best of all, he knows me. Do you know him this morning? Has there ever been that time in your life where you realized that you was lost? You was in need of a Savior? Has there ever been that time that you found your place? It didn't have to be in an altar at the church. It can be, you can make an altar anywhere. I didn't get saved in an altar at a church. You can make an altar anywhere. Has there ever been that place where you realized you was lost and realized how much he loved you? said, Father, forgive me, for I am undone. I am unclean. Father, forgive me of my sins. I sure am glad that if you have, glad I can report to you today, he has done his part. Salvation's offered to everybody. I'm done. It's three minutes till 12. Salvation's offered to everybody, the whole world. I just said that. I just said that. Here in just a little while, I, I, as soon as service is over, I'll shake hands with everybody and then I'll go in my office for a little while till Miss Leslie gets lunch done and then she'll let me know that lunch is done and then I'll have a choice to make, Brother Randy. There'll be food on the table at the Barker house. I can either reject that food on the table that my body desperately needs right now or I can accept that. I can go sit down at the table and I can enjoy a hot meal that someone else has worked to provide. I can get done with that meal and sit down in my recliner, somebody say amen right there, and enjoy a good cup of coffee that my daughter's going to make me and bring to me in my recliner. Not because I make her, because that's what she wants to do. I started making my own, and she went to her mama and complained and said, I don't understand why Daddy won't let me make his coffee no more. She said, I like making Daddy's coffee for him. So you know what I do? I go sit down in the recliner and say, two tablespoons or teaspoons or whatever it is of caramel macchiato creamer and two drops of caramel. Somebody say amen. And I'm going to sit there and I'm going to enjoy that cup of coffee that somebody else labored to bring to me. Somebody else has labored to bring you life and life more abundantly. You can sit down at his table and enjoy his blessings that he's already worked to provide for you. You can even enjoy a cup of coffee afterwards because he just don't give life. He gives life more abundantly. He just don't give peace. He gives peace that passeth all understanding. He don't just give joy. He gives you joy that might be full. All at somebody else's expense. But you have to make the choice to do that. I can't make it for you. I looked at a fella through a, through a door in a jail two weeks ago. He had tears in his eyes, and here's what he said. He said, Preacher, I don't want to go to hell. 
And I said, sir, I sure am glad that I can report to you today that you don't have to go to hell. That there's a God that loves you and a God that'll change your life if you'll ask him to do that. And here's what I told him. I said, I'm going to pray with you, sir. But me praying is not going to do you any good. You yourself are going to have to pray and ask God to forgive you of your sins and come into your heart and save you. I said, would you like to do that? He said, preacher, I sure would. Boy, right there on my hands and knees in that old dirty jail, I began to pray. That old boy cried out to God and asked God to forgive him of his sins and come into his heart and save him. I said, amen. I looked at him and I said, man, if you was to die today, where would you go now? He said, I'd go to heaven. He said, I asked the Lord to forgive me and to come into my heart. That's the same thing God will do for you today. What love that he was willing to say, Father, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, forgive them for they know not what they